So I participate in the community of people who consider themselves evangelical Christians. And uh, recently there were headlines um, in the AJC and around our city about an event called One Race that happened on Stone Mountain. And there were all these kind of like cool symbolic things that when I first started reading about it, like, you know, black and white people confessing racial, uh, racial wrongs to each other, that kind of person-to-person -person reconciliation. I was like, oh, this is a good thing. This is a big community. They might be able to move the needle on this if they engage. And then I was reading further uh, about the organizers of the event, and they made this statement, and my heart just sank a little bit. They said, we don't want to get political with this. And because that's divisive, right? And I thought, I don't know if they mean partisan when they say political. Mm -hmm. But when I heard that, I thought they haven't been told a story where the political nature of their lives is really well understood. Mm -hmm. And I think that whatever communities we're coming from, representing, speaking with, and speaking to, there needs to be some good storytelling, some good literature, some good speech and conversation where we help people understand that politics is how power works in our shared life. Well, we have a great guest to talk about that today. We're really excited to have her here. Yeah, we are so very excited uh, to have. You may remember we had B-Win almost a year ago here on the podcast. We now, we're trying to get the whole family involved. <laughs> so now we have... Uh, Is your dad free next week? Yeah. <laughs> What's he up to lately? No. Uh, <laughs> we have uh, uh, B's sister, Fee Wynn. Uh, she's the uh, litigation director at Asian Americans Advancing Justice. Thank you so much for being here. We are, we've been so excited to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited too. Yeah, and the catalyst for us uh, <laughs> us booking you was that was that. Um, oh man, you have this show, a YouTube show, right? Actually, Facebook. A Facebook, Facebook show. Facebook show. <laughs> we apologize. It's okay. Where, where were our fact checkers <laughs> when we put this script together? Um, you have a Facebook show called Wake Up Atlanta. Tell us a little bit about that show. Um, it is basically a show that is meant to engage young Asian Americans and get them to vote and just be more civically engaged. Yeah, and in the in the videos, you wear a Black Lives Matter pin. <laughs> Thanks for noticing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> a subtle advertisement. <laughs> and this is this is one of those weird moments where I feel like both Ian and myself and a couple of our friends, we all sort of on the same like maybe even day accidentally saw it separately of each other yeah. and all shared it with we were like oh my goodness you guys this is such a great breakdown of what's going on in atlanta and georgia and we yeah. just i don't know we just were in love with it we, we loved it so much thank you so much so let me let me tell you why it sparked yeah. uh, <laughs> us wanting to have a conversation <laughs> with you is i have a friend andrew and whenever an election election comes up he works mm. in the legislature and environmental law and whenever an election comes up I'm, you know, we have like a conversation in our house and he explains all the bills to me <laughs> and what they mean, like, because they never, like, when it comes up on the ballot, it usually means the exact opposite of how it reads, so like any measure that it's... they're trying to, yeah. SB whatever, like, you just read it and it's the opposite. So Andrew has always explained these things to me, but he works for the, he works for Georgia, so he can't, like, I don't think he can make really, like, he can't hedge his commentary on what's really happening with some of the legislature. And so I was thinking, man, there's got to be somewhere out there where people can get like a real sort of lived in accessible view on what's going on um, in terms of the laws that are being considered in terms of 
politics and everyday life of people mm-hmm. who live in Atlanta. And actually, Wake Up Atlanta was the first place where I saw it done really effectively. So, Well, I really appreciate that. And, you know, the reason why we started it, I think, in part, was because there wasn't something out there that existed like it. And so when we were trying to figure out how to educate ourselves and how to educate other people, we didn't really have a resource to point people to. And so we said, why don't, why don't, we, why don't we make something? And that's yeah. kind of how it began. Yeah. And you're a great storyteller. Oh, yeah. Because you do it in, that, in, a, in a kind of light uh, way mm-hmm. in that show. But what sort of started your passion for, like, telling stories or translating politics into mm. things that, like, people on the street could understand and engage? Um, well, I've always been an avid reader. Uh, my sisters and I all actually read a lot growing up. And yeah. that was, I think, the starting place for just connecting with the world in different ways. And so storytelling has always resonated with me because that mm-hmm. would be how I think I formed a lot of my ideology and values growing up. Um, and then I think in doing... In doing political engagement work, then I feel like a lot of times what tends to resonate with people is um, an emotional pool, right? So my background is in law. So when I talk about legal things and I feel like people's eyes like glaze <laughs> over and it's not really pull, like tugging at their heartstrings that yeah, much. Yeah. And so um, the I, I think the partnership between me and my co-producer KB has mm-hmm. been really effective because her background is actually in journalism and she's a spoken word artist and so we have this nice um tension i guess Mm -hmm. where i'm very much like this is what the law is and and this is how it affects us and everybody should care and she's like yeah you need to dial that back you know (laughs) dial it down and we need to like emotionally engage them first and make it fun and accessible Mm -hmm. first and pull people in that way and then you can you know you know give it to people in bits Mm -hmm. yeah meet people where they are yeah your your recent episode i think was that was exactly that like fun but eye-opening as well because um it had to deal with the raise act the our sort of like you know merit-based idea of immigration david purdue is one of the people behind it and can you share about that episode and kind of what you wanted to do and how you wanted to show like what this law would actually literally mean for people yeah i mean i think that when we talk about laws then um it's really easy to just feel like we're not going to be impacted right and we just like read numbers and statistics and it doesn't really personally mean anything to us if Mm -hmm. we can't feel any immediate impact from it but i think that the episode really one, we wanted to show how it would actually impact people who are here. Mm-hmm. So it, it highlights um, how ridiculous the yeah. requirements are <laughs> that, that most of the people who are here, who, who either immigrated here or who were born here, wouldn't actually mm-hmm. be meritorious yeah. under this proposed test. Yeah. And then I think um, it's also, I think it's, it was intended to also be a good reminder of of our history of yeah. in America as well. So, how did people get here, mm-hmm. and would we have been able to get here if if this were the law at the time? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And in you doing that, it also made me wonder. Like, I wonder if the people actually behind this bill itself, or 
would actually have qualified as well. You oh, know what I mean? Um, like, they I, did because I oh, wondered the same thing. Okay. And then I like looked it up and I was like, I think that they would. They, they rigged it. They rigged yeah. it. It was like, okay, yeah. well, how do I? Yeah. <laughs> Last name Purdue is a really, you get seven <laughs> points for that. Oh, man. No, but it was just, it was a great, I thought that was a great sort of man on the street way of like, it was pretty revealing. Like, no matter, even if you've like really worked hard and accomplished a lot, it's still means very little i don't know that's like what what is i don't know what is all that mean? it's so subjective i don't know it was so yeah. subjective and it was so funny yeah. how like your age mattered yeah. like i was like oh if i had just gone earlier i would have passed <laughs> but now i'm too old <laughs> um oh, but yeah so it was a it was funny but i think people were also like wow I wouldn't mm -hmm. pass. Yeah. This is demeaning to me, and I'm yeah. I'm an American citizen, yeah. and I was born here, and yep. that's kind of shocking mm -hmm. that these are the standards that are applied to people who yeah. want to come over here. And I thought it was great. Like towards the end, it was like, okay, can, can you put one point whatever million into <laughs> the economy? And this is just regular people. They're like, what are you talking? Mean, I've yeah. never. Uh, it was just. It was a very revealing, a revealing sort of man on the street. It was so great. Thank you. So we're curious about your reading life. What um, <laughs> in the we were talking before the interview about like when you move from uh say like what a more or less normal legal job into the justice arena the weight of what you hear every day and what you deal with increases right as does the joy and sense of meaning in your job but into that mix what role does reading play in your life and if you could give us a few examples of books you've read that do that for you sure um actually before last night I was like I better start reading a book because <laughs> I'm gonna be on this podcast yeah. tomorrow and all I've been reading is case law for the last like two weeks actually in the in the communication beforehand I was gonna joke like if you're not reading anything interesting go ahead and start I now know. yeah but. I was like guys I need to I need to read um, <laughs> so I actually the the book I'm reading right now is called Exit West Okay. Um, that was recommended to me by a couple of friends, actually. But before that, I just started. I just read "Between the World and Me" mm. by Tanahasi Coates, yeah. which yeah. was really great. Um, but in terms of informing my work, I think um, I don't know. I think everything that we read just gives us more perspective on on why. I'm doing the work that I do and it yeah. also I think helps to put the current moment into historical context yeah that's been really important to me um I think that part of the reason why um, when we think about Asian Americans part of the reason why there has been um a lack of political engagement and an unwillingness to to define your personal life as political yeah. is a lack of understanding about our history. Mm. Um, and I think part of that is because we're not really taught about our history in school at all. Um, and so a lot of my work now has been actually um, also learning about my own history. I've learned so much more about my history um, and the history of um, my community since mm -hmm. I've started this work. And so I think mm. um it informs the work because re reading about your own history is important and also um, reading about other communities and finding um, where 
we intersect, where our histories intersect mm. has been really important and informative in how I want to pursue my social justice work. Yeah. And you made, you, what kind of law did you practice before you moved into? I did medical malpractice defense. Medical oh, malpractice wow. defense. Yeah, so was there, was there sort of an ideological shift or something that triggered you to move to a new position? to pursue a new kind of uh, law. It's hard to make a career change like that. It's yeah. it's really hard. Um, I actually, I mean, I've always been somebody who um, is progressive. I grew up um, taking, a, I, in college, I took a lot of sociology classes. I took a lot of women's studies classes. I took a lot of comparative literature classes. So mm -hmm. I've always been liberal arts oriented. Um, but, you know, the way that I was raised, I was just, taught to that that a job is supposed to be a job and then I could just use my free time to pursue passion projects and yeah. um and that that worked for a while and then it just didn't work after a while yeah. I mean I think that I I realized that everything I was doing outside of work I felt so much more engaged and passionate about yeah. and um at some point the I think that the scale just tipped in one direction over the other so I actually um it was it was a long time coming. I considered yeah. making some sort of switch for probably three years before I actually mm -hmm. did anything. And it was like, maybe I'll do something completely <laughs> different, like creative. Maybe I'll be a documentary filmmaker. <laughs> I, I, I thought about doing that for a yeah. while. But then, um, so it was it was a long time coming. And then I think the more I um, did work within my own community mm -hmm. and other communities of color, the more I really realized that I wanted to um, full-time put my energy towards social justice work. And then um, I think the current political climate really, really helped be the extra yep. kick in the pants that I needed yeah. to be like, all right, I'm out, guys. <laughs> yeah, well, it was a reason. I think it was also a reason for us to start this podcast, too. I think a lot of people around are feeling like, are feeling like there, there are these new kind of forces, or not new forces, old forces <laughs> like really waking up and pressing in on communities yeah. that already dealt with a lot of pressure so one of mm -hmm. the things we we wanted to do was like hey in the middle of this uh in the middle of this season let's talk about the stories that keep people going or the stories yeah. that humanize communities under pressure can you talk about in your communities like have there been voices that you you felt like as you were reading you said you read a lot growing up. Are there voices now as you're reading that you feel like really speak for the community in which you live and work? Yeah, I guess, I don't know. I, I read um, a like an article by Viet Thanh Nguyen the other day, oh. and it was about Crazy Rich Asians. And mm -hmm. I don't know if y'all read it, but he basically was saying Crazy Rich Asians um, needs to be exceptional because of the basically like the lack of Asian American representation there is in Hollywood. Mm. And once we reach a point of, he called it narrative plenitude. So once there's enough of that out there, then it gives Asian Americans the space to um, make mediocre, <laughs> yeah. make mediocre yeah. films, that's okay. I mean, it would mm -hmm. be great if it's except exceptional, but it will just yeah. be a regular part of, mm. you know, Hollywood at, at that point. And so, yeah. I think um, it's it's hard I, to pinpoint specific people that I think I would say speak for an entire community, but mm -hmm. yeah. um, 
I did, you know, I guess over the years I've discovered books that have been written by um, second generation Asian Americans mm -hmm. that have really spoken to me. And I think it started first with um, Jhumpa Lahiri. The namesake was something that was mind blowing for me because I, I mean, we talked about this a little bit before mm -hmm. um, we got on air, but I grew up really trying to relate to people like Holden Caulfield and the Catcher in the Rye and then <laughs> also the guy in a separate piece and just like, you know, these straight white men who like went to prep schools, which actually has <laughs> nothing to do with my life. But I'm like, wow, I'm Holden is so relatable. Everything's <laughs> so phony. <laughs> so relatable. And then I read um, The Namesake and I was like, wait, this is actually very relatable on a wow. culturally specific level yeah. in a way that I was like very, very excited just to like read oh, certain cultural details. Like there was like one scene where he talks about the parties that his parents threw and how like they ate on styrofoam like plates and you know every like you know the aunties and uncles are like eat more eat more and eat more i'm like that's totally like vietnamese people too you know um and then right. from there i think i just have discovered a whole body of of different literature that was probably always out there but i yeah. just didn't necessarily know about it again because that's not what we were are exposed to in school mm -hmm. but yeah. um there's also i mean Viet Tang Nguyen obviously is somebody who's been i think really important for vietnamese people um mm -hmm. and let's see t-boy also mm -hmm. um gosh there there's actually so much out there but those are some of the people that have been getting awesome. a little bit more attention now but yeah and awesome. you mentioned that you know t-boy i do <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, can you share? Well, I know we were talking about the best we could do a recent, mm -hmm. I guess within the last year or two years mm -hmm. has come out. Um, but yeah, you, well, maybe, I don't know if you can share this, what she what she's currently working on that yeah. was kind of inspired through you? Partially. Yeah, so um, T and I, I think um, we met through a variety of ways, but um, over the course of our friendship, you know, we would just, we have like a WhatsApp group where it's just a bunch of Vietnamese women and we always talk <laughs> about like, what we're working on our jobs and so it's been a really awesome. great space for me to be like and this happened today and um <laughs> so i think somebody already reached out to her about um drawing um a, a cambodian person who was being targeted for deportation mm -hmm. so that was kind of the her introduction i think to some of that work mm -hmm. and then separately um, I was telling her about a lawsuit that we filed on behalf of Vietnamese people who are being targeted for detention and deportation. Yeah. So then um, <laughs> through the yeah. course of a lot of conversations, she was actually working on a book about climate change. And mm -hmm. then she was like, you know what? I think I'm going to change what I'm working on. <laughs> and I'm going to pitch um, a book about uh, Asian Americans being targeted for detention and deportation wow. instead. Um, and so she's actually already drawn one comic about it. And then she's doing cool. like a full length um, mm -hmm. uh, comic book about it. Wow. Yeah. Now talk a little bit about that case too that you're working on. That's really interesting. Yeah. So um, the people that I'm working with. So, so basically if you are an immigrant and you are ordered removed from the country, you can only actually physically be deported if the country will take you back, right? Mm -hmm. huh. And so um, if you're somebody who's from a country that historically is like, nope, we're not gonna take this person back, 
then that that puts you in this weird limbo state where you can't go back to where you were born, but you can't um, you you're not lawfully here in the U.S. either. Yeah. Um, and so you you basically just check in with ICE every so often, and you live under what's called an order of supervision. So there's yeah. like restrictions on what you can do, but you can work and you can live with your family and be among your community. Mm -hmm. You just don't have a pathway back to being here lawfully anymore. And so there are actually a lot of Vietnamese people who are um, in that limbo state. Like, I think something like 8,000, upwards of 8,000 people wow. are yeah. in that state. Um, and so for the last several years, they've been living their lives pretty normally. Um, but with the Trump administration, then um, ICE has really started targeting people, like different communities mm -hmm. who have large numbers of people in that weird limbo space and just putting them into detention. And, um, and then in the meantime, the U.S. is pressuring all of these countries to take people back. Mm -hmm. um, so you have two countries fighting over what they want. And then in the meantime, people are being locked up in these detention prisons for mm -hmm. indefinite periods of time. Yeah. Um, and we sued basically saying, well, you can't hold people in detention unless you're able to deport them because that's where your authority to detain people comes from. And so you need to release people if you're not able to deport them. Wow. And this is something that's happening um, across the country and it's affecting, you know, a lot of different communities. Our lawsuit deals with Vietnamese refugees, mm -hmm. but there's also a pending lawsuit um, that impacts Cambodians and Iraqis and uh, Somalians, so just a lot of different communities who historically haven't been um, targeted mm -hmm. over the last few years are being targeted now. Yeah, oh. there's a feeling like that too. I mean, the like the stories in Georgia that make headlines are like the deportation bus or like Kemp mm -hmm. now our oh, governor, uh, a candidate for governor, <laughs> like riding around in his pickup truck. But I think there's like there are all these subtle moves within uh within the legal system both statewide and mm -hmm. nationally that i'm like why like why are they squeezing like this on these communities it's mm -hmm. just a mystery to me yeah it's kind of baffling and it's subtle too like it mm -hmm. doesn't make news like it doesn't make yes yeah. and yeah i feel like it doesn't make news until like immigrant law lawyers start speaking up and say hey we are getting a huge number of these instances that's not a not normal case like for yesterday this Washington Post article came out about yeah. people um, who have U.S. birth certificates but are Latino, mm -hmm. Latinx are um, applying for like passports and getting put in the deportation process. And I mean, this is happening now. I mean, quite frequently, and it just came to light because you know the everybody's really quiet about it until all these you know immigration lawyers are the ones speaking up and saying, "Hey." This is this is huge. There's yeah. huge numbers of people. This has not happened before. Yeah, and I think what's really been striking for me um, with the Vietnamese case that we're working on, and, and this is actually true with with a lot of different communities mm -hmm. that come here. But and, and I think this is why understanding history is important too. Mm -hmm. But um, m the vast majority of the population that's being impacted that I am 
dealing with and representing are people who came here as refugees of the war. And so they came here legally and they got their green cards, but then they had criminal convictions that made them deportable. And I don't think that people completely realize that that's a thing, that you can mm-hmm. have your green card taken away if yeah. you commit or if you're convicted of, of a certain crime. Um, but I but I think that's important to understand. And yeah. I think when we look at a lot of different communities, the reasons why people are here is because they were refugees and in, in America played a part in, in a lot of those communities having to seek refuge yeah. elsewhere. And then now they're being sent back to the countries mm-hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. that they fled because mm-hmm. of of a war that yeah. America probably had involvement in. So if yeah. I'm like, if I'm distant from some of mm. these communities who mm-hmm. are affected and I'm wondering what's going on, are there places I can go to read or learn about, um, mm. learn about the movements and shifts in like immigration law? I get, I get a lot of news from the Atlantic, but I was just wondering if there's anywhere, where do you go regularly to find out? Other than case law, <laughs> I'm sure it's just in the air because you work in I a. No case law is there. Yeah. I'm like, um, that's a good question. I do, I do want to have an episode on Wake Up Atlanta where we talk about some of these issues. So mm-hmm. that would be one. Awesome. Um, I don't have a great answer for that because um, I'm so entrenched within the space that it just (laughs) that that I can't even avoid it like honestly like everybody on my Facebook and my Twitter probably posts things but um, I think you could follow different organizations like if you don't follow um, Advancing Justice Atlanta or our affiliates we we tend to post things that are affecting our community Mm. Um, ACLU does the same although they're not as Asian American focused Um, yeah uh, SPLC is also a good one to mm. follow. Yeah, I think that those are some of the good ones. Um, Project South here in the mm. South, they they report a lot on on detention centers here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So, if our listeners are listening to this and they want to kind of follow your work or uh, things you're working on or are interested, how can they catch you online? <laughs> Wake up, Atlanta. So, yeah. Wake up Atlanta. Wake up Atlanta. Okay. So you can find us on Facebook on Wake Up Wake Up Atlanta. And how often, how often do you uh, produce and come out with those? Is it kind of just as you can, or do you have like a strict schedule? Or? Our schedule is every um, every other Friday okay. is oh, what we're awesome. aiming okay. for. Yeah. Um, and then Asian Americans Advancing Justice Atlanta is also our our organization has a Facebook page so that. Okay. Um, Wake Up Atlanta is also on Twitter. We actually have a Wake Up Atlanta um, newsletter that people could sign up for. And we, we just That's... do it, I think, every other Friday <laughs> just to let people That's know great. that an yeah. episode has dropped. Yeah. yeah. When we started this podcast, we were like, we'll do it bi-weekly <laughs> to have a good... Well, oh, the season <laughs> thing, too, that y'all did was... That was a good idea. We should yeah. have done that. Well, it's <laughs> funny. We, were doing, we, we, we produced a bunch. We did an interview like people really quickly. And then we started doing like every other week. And then, I don't know, we just got really excited and we're like... We could do, do it once week. a week. <laughs> oh, man. We learned the hard way. That, that was a huge like, mistake. It's oh, so much work, right? I feel like, yeah. And it's like if this was just our job, you know, it would be perfect. But it's just with everything, juggling life and job, it's just. 
but it's like something you really want to do and like if i just had a few more hours a week to do it it would be you know i don't know it's just it's really stressful i feel your pain the last time (laughs) the last work session that we had for wake up atlanta we basically wrote a bunch of episodes Mm -hmm. like on a Friday night yeah. <laughs> like really like stayed up really late and then like KV went to my house and did it and then she left at like I swear like 4 a.m. and was like okay I'll be back here to record at 9 a.m. I'm like Uh-oh. okay bye <laughs> and then we like shot a bunch of episodes the next day and it was and it was all day so it was yeah. intense it was fun it's yeah. fun yeah but it is it takes a lot out of us in mm-hmm. fact tonight we have a, another work session after i get home from my day job so that's awesome yeah i hope you're well caffeinated for that yeah <laughs> well fee thanks for joining us yeah. thanks yeah. for the conversation we're really inspired by your work we Thank hope our you. listeners will uh will hop over and check out wake up atlanta mm-hmm. and also yeah. um uh look at uh advancing justice atlanta and the work you're doing yeah. there um we're also thankful to atlanta vintage books we believe that like uh community is something that happens in a place mm-hmm. a lot of um a lot of times that's an unacknowledged aspect in our world so mm-hmm. we're thankful that they have a place where we can have these conversations with people we admire yeah. and we can be surrounded by the sweet smell of books <laughs> <laughs> uh, so thanks to atlanta vintage books if you hear this and you want to come in and check out the bookstore please just let them know you you uh listen to tim and ian mm-hmm. or wake up atlanta or yeah. the fee episode mm-hmm. if you just let them know so that they uh, they can uh, get a sense that uh, people are coming in and checking it out yeah. based on this podcast. Yeah, and also if you want to reach us, we have a website, woodyreadingpodcast.com. And from there, you can find us on Facebook and uh, Twitter and Instagram as we kind of, like we said, we're busy. So we don't, we're not like as present as we'd like to be, but we try to keep people updated through those um, yeah. avenues um, also if we are able to get this episode up in time we want to let you know that this weekend Labor Day weekend is going to be of course the Decatur Book Festival get and there yes please please go there's so much going on I mean I we could just spend hours talking yeah. about what's going to be happening but we're going to be there like we were last year yeah. wandering kind of finding out what people are reading Look talking. for me spending all my money at the AK yes. Press booth. <laughs> so you, if you if you follow our podcast at all, uh, we talk a lot about books from AK Press, and so they've got a booth up this year, and I'll probably be right there. There's a lot, there's a lot of great stuff there, and yeah, we'll be wondering. So maybe just keep an eye out for us. We'll maybe be posting along the way, and well, we're like last year. We were, we had a it was just wonderful talking to people just there, um, attending, yeah. but then also talking to presenters, to people at booths, just learning more about them, but just finding out what people were reading as we as we wandered. It was yeah. a lot of fun last year. So we're doing that again, and we're so excited. I mean, it's always just a, a wonderful weekend. It's so much fun. And I guess that's it. Um, we do have a book quote, and other than that, I, I guess uh, we can just wrap it up. This is from Mallory Blackman. Reading is an exercise in empathy, an exercise in walking in someone else's shoes for a while. Thanks for listening. <laughs>